Welcome to everyone that's joined us this week. <coughs> a little bit. Um. <coughs> Welcome to those of you who've joined us this week. And um, last week I uh, gave, gave a talk about beginning to explore different approaches to working with our emotional life. <clears throat> uh, different also in the sense that uh, many of them were not, in some ways, not the kind of things that per- perhaps we, we tend to think of f- first, as a first resort in, in this kind of tradition. So a little bit slightly different approaches than we might be used to in this tradition. And I... Uh, so this is a continuation of that. It should uh, make sense uh, if, if you didn't have the first half. It should be fine, stand alone. <clears throat> but let's just spend a couple of minutes reviewing uh, what was said last time. <clears throat> I actually started with a kind of premise that I just threw out there. And along the lines of that our emotional life has a kind of inherent dynamism to it that is actually uh, in, the, in the way that a plant will naturally move towards the sun. Um, naturally, that's the movement of our emotional life. It naturally moves to want to unfold, to unlock itself, to unfurl itself deeper into the being, into more expansiveness, more discovery, etc., more lightness. In that dynamism is a kind of lightness. And what happens as human beings is that uh, we block that dynamism in different ways. And the emotional life gets uh, either stagnant or stuck in tight, difficult orbits, etc. Uh, <clears throat> so the question partly being explored is how do we block that beautiful, wonderful, healthy dynamism of our emotional life. How do we do that? What are the ways that we do that? And what are the ways that we can perhaps unblock it? And I suggested that, that's a huge subject obviously, but just wanted to offer eight, eight possible approaches or principles and saying that that's, a, you know, a part of what's on offer, but just to go through them. <clears throat> so we went through, I think, five of them, but just to sum up again. A lot of them, before I list them, a lot of them had to do with this idea that when there's an emotion around, it actually it, it has a certain amount of energy wrapped up in it. To, to, to be in the grips of any emotion, difficult or, or lovely emotion, it Energy is locked in that cycle, in that kind of vortex. Some of these uh, approaches and principles are for the sake of raising the energy level of attention. When the energy level of attention is more than the energy of the emotion, then that starts liberating things. When the energy of the emotion is more than the energy of the attention, we are sunk. We are literally underneath and cramped by, we don't have the energy to sort of free ourselves from something. So a lot of this, and a lot of meditative work, in a way, in relationship to the emotions, 
yeah, it, it's it's crucial that somehow we energize the attentiveness, and there's different ways of doing that. So some of them had to do with that. That's a very important principle. So the first one on this list, we talked about differentiation was the word I used, and the idea that <clears throat> our capacity to see when there's an emotion going on. I'm going through this very very briefly just to review. <clears throat> when there's an emotion going on, it's usually not just one emotion. It's usually the case that uh, there's more than one thing going on, or even what looks at first sight like one emotion. It's just anger. It's just depression. It's just sadness. It's just whatever it is. Actually, when I look closely at it, it begins to reveal that it has. it's almost like it's made up of strands woven like a, like a rope, strands woven together. And that differentiate. if I can uh, highlight and open, if I can reveal that dif- that, uh, those different strands, uh, then there's a kind of precision in the awareness and a sensitivity. Really, really helpful. I'm less overwhelmed by what's going on. I begin to engage the factor of curiosity, etc. <clears throat> Differentiation one. The second one was learning to really sustain our attention on what's going on for us. Can I really just hold the attention on the experience, particularly the bodily experience of an emotion? Um, the third one had to, had to do with broadening the attentiveness. So that, again, when there's something going on, oftentimes the attention gets sucked into that. But so to speak, in the background of the awareness, we can make the mindfulness larger. We could even call that mindfulness. It just something gets larger. I notice, I notice uh, what else is around in the field of my experience. I really want to see the totality of the field of the experience and not kind of be myopically sucked into uh, this central experience. Because if I don't, I tend to overlook a lot of stuff that could be very, very uh, important, very significant, could be really helpful for me, that I then don't have access to. could also be that I begin to notice factors that are supporting this difficulty. So I need to see what's in the field, especially in terms of my reactions, my responses, etc. What might be perpetuating it? Number four was the whole realm of engaging our wonderful capacity as human beings to question. To question our experience and question particularly our assumptions. Because that's a big part of what will be revealed when we open up the field. What else is going on? We begin to see, oh, there's these reactions, there's these beliefs operating. Ah, goodness me, I didn't even notice. These beliefs were operating. They're supporting the whole structure of this tight loop of difficult emotion. And then once having witnessed them, and actually it's not enough usually just to witness that some assumption is there. Actually, I need to question it. I need to engage my questioning capacity. So we were giving lots and lots of examples with all this to kind of flesh it out and <coughs> make it not abstract. Um, actually, I want to. I felt like I rushed a little bit through this a part of this questioning piece. I just want to fill it out a little bit before moving on. So that I can question. 
I can question the assumptions I'm having. I can question the self-views that are operating. Really important. And I can uh, look into both of these. So often a difficult emotion comes up and a self-view is operating with it. I am like such and such. Or even, and oftentimes we don't realize this is going on. We say, this emotion is around, this depression or this anger or whatever it is. And almost below the radar of consciousness, it's because I'm like dot, dot, dot. It's because I'm this type of person. That's why it's here. It's just more evidence that I'm a rageful loser, grumpy old miser, whatever it is. So, someone a while ago was sitting in meditation. There was some pain in, uh, I think it was in the ankle. And just being with the pain, noticing there's aversion to pain. Noticing it and noticing the aversion actually gets stronger and stronger, stronger and stronger, until it was rage. And they were sitting in a rage. And reporting this, and then very so so easily, it it tri- it trips out of the out of the mouth if you're talking with someone, but it, it will trip through the mind if it's just internally. It's because I'm da da da. And in this case, it's because I've got all this rage in me. That's how I am. I've got all this rage in me. And with that, there was a judgment because I'm this kind of person. I'm rageful and I hold on to things and, and whatever. Very easy for something like that to trip out of the mouth, go through the mind, just about conscious, without really, hold on, hold on, is that true? Is that true? And what, what effect is such a self-view having? Devastating. It's enormous effect that it's having. So I really need to notice what the self-views are and really question them. Is it true that I have all this rage in me? that I am a rageful person. Is that true? Really? Oftentimes, we don't, uh, unfortunately, engage the fullness of this questioning capacity. And so, one's exploring something, for instance, in the emotional realm, and things start to shift, and then maybe fear comes up. And oftentimes, a person will just notice, oh, there's fear. And not not say, what exactly am I afraid of? What is it precisely in, in the inner aspect of experience or the outer aspect of experience that I'm really afraid of? It's almost like it's just there's fear and then, and then the questioning doesn't pr- probe further. The questioning has to really be uh, penetrative, strong. It has to have some uh, chutzpah. You know what chutzpah is? <laughs> Uh, courage, thank you. <laughs> courage. The other day, I was talking with a friend, and um, and we were talking, and and I said, "What's your, what's your image of what a liberated being looks like?" And she's uh, threw out these images, and I said, "Oh, it's like." So and so, this monk who's quite well known, and and they've got a, a bald head, and they're uh, a kind of halo, and they move very slowly, and they're very radiant, and, and you know, da, da, da. and and she, what was quite interesting to me is I I just wondered can can you can you see that there's some kind of 
childlike idealization, projection going on there in this image of what liberation is supposed to look like. I can't remember if I brought it up or she brought it up or, or what, but uh, then she she did become aware of that. She did become aware of that. And we didn't pursue it because we had other things that we needed to talk about. But the, my, my wondering was, okay, so something's... And you've seen that. You've seen that there's this almost almost childlike, almost infantile kind of projection of something onto an image of something, which actually is quite a centrally important issue, liberation. What is that? You've seen that. Is it going to stop there? Or is, or is the questioning got more of this courage, more of this push to it? Is it okay if I'm just kind of <clears throat> a little bit, I don't know, wallowing in, in this kind of childlike sense of idealization and, and comfort. Is that an okay place to pitch, pitch, build a house? And maybe it's scary to let go of that. I don't know, there was a kind of happiness in it. But comforts that are not based on truth come at a cost. Comforts that are not based on truth will come at a cost. Sometimes, I mean, in interviews with people or whatever, and, and or a person to to myself, something's going on, <clears throat> and it's a difficulty, and and says, or you notice a certain behaviour, and and the question comes up: Why do I do that? Or a person notices that they keep uh, selfing, keep creating a self in certain situations, and says, Why do I keep selfing? Or um, why am I feeling this way? Why do I still have this feeling? And so sometimes in an interview, a person will say that to me. And, and I can tell, it sounds like a question. Why do I da-da-da? Why does da-da-da-da-da? But it's not a question. It's a judgment, dressed up as a question. Why, why do I keep selfing? It's, not, it's, it's actually a judgment. It's not, there isn't an openness, a softness, a kind of... Um, uh, a love that's behind wanting to find something out. So very, very easily the judging comes in, dresses up as as a kind of inquiry, not not very good dress because it's quite obvious, <clears throat> and it's not it's not moving the whole thing at all. It's just another way of judging ourselves. And we might ask, why am I not questioning? Why, why is the questioning not real? Again, that questioning has to have love in it. It really has to have love in it. It might be because I assume that this thing shouldn't be happening and I'm judging it. And then it's like, okay, why am I assuming that? Is that a helpful assumption? <clears throat> Somehow, love has to come into the questioning. When it does, and when the questioning is alive, when our questioning is alive as human beings it is very, very powerful to unlock this, this beautiful dynamism of our emotional life. <clears throat> if, if it's not there, it's not the only aspect, but if it's not there, when the mindfulness is kind of passive too much of the time, and we're just kind of being with it, it may not have the energy, like we said earlier. But that passivity of the awareness 
it won't it's almost like the very passivity locks locks an emotion in an orbit if we're stuck with something it locks the status quo of our being and questioning it's like it's like um what are those things called that you pry something with something to wedge it's like it wedges something out you know uh Crowbar, thank you. It's a crowbar, kind of. <laughs> um, it, it has the capacity to, to move something that's otherwise very kind of stuck. Okay. <clears throat> that was just filling in number four, questioning a bit more. Number five, we talked about it's really exploring the different aspects of what gets revealed in this process. And I gave a very full uh, example with a lot of specificity. Um, so think once we start inquiring, things start to shift. And one really needs to uh, kind of inhabit and look at very carefully uh, each experience, each dimension and aspect of the experience as it's shifting to really um, kind of allow the whole thing to flower and un- unlock. Okay, so let's move on. <clears throat> Number six, I'm calling resourcing. Resourcing. And I break this down into three. And this is really, really important. Uh, these, by the way, these eight principles, they're not separate. They overlap and blend into each other. But I just want to make them separate to highlight different aspects. So oftentimes we have difficulties, we experience difficulties, and difficult, in this case we're talking about emotions. And what can really, really be helpful is the cultivation of other qualities of heart that will, that will really help, that will really soothe or open or give a different perspective. So this is a huge part of the path. And I would say the the Buddha probably talked more about cultivating beautiful qualities than he did about, say, mindfulness or or even insight, in fact. A lot of emphasis in the teachings on cultivating what's beautiful. And sometimes we forget this. I'm I'm just trying to be with it, just trying to be with it. It might be that I need to come away from this emotion, from being with it, and actually invest a little bit in, say, the development of metta, or compassion, or whatever it is. So actually engage another meditation practice for a while. But this cultivation doesn't even have to be restricted to the cushion. So I cultivate things also through my actions and my attitudes. So a person could be stuck in, um, uh, you know, believing uh, some very, again, it's quite a very childlike kind of emotion that's got stuck in this orbit, can go on for years and years. The world owes me. I should be being taken care of. It's not, you know, I need more than I have. Very painful, tight constriction. And in that, of, of course, it's all me, 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 get, get, get. Very painful. Actually, what would it be to just flip that and actually start practicing generosity in one's life. Something miraculous happens when we practice generosity. Generosity is a movement out and an opening of the heart and a letting go of the self. And that unlocks a huge amount of dynamism, changes the whole inner climate, very different space inside when we start practicing generosity. 
But in that space, and in, in the belief, and in the in, in the tightness of that orbit, it doesn't occur to one that maybe, maybe part of the problem is that I'm just thinking about myself and what I can get. <clears throat> but that emphasis on cultivation, very much there in the teachings, that's what would would typically, and I've. I've you know, in other talks, talked about it a lot, so I'm, I'm not going to say much about it here. I want to highlight a couple of different uh, uh, possibilities for resourcing. And one of them comes out of this question of what else is here now? What else is here now? And that comes from the mindfulness we're talking about, just making, allowing the field of attention to get a little bit uh, bigger. And noticing, noticing what else is there. So I give an example. Actually, sometimes, as as we do that, what else is there is immediately obvious. We are feeling hassled and oppressed by something. I open the field of mindfulness to include more of the whole realm of my experience. And immediately, uh, one might feel a sense of strength. One can almost just shrug off uh, the emotion or what's uh, been oppressing us. It was right there. It was right. Just needed a little bit more openness. Other times, it's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more hidden and needs kind of teasing out, but comes from this opening of the awareness. <clears throat> so, I'll give you an example. A little while ago, I was working with someone, and she was experiencing at work um, a lot of self-doubt a lot of doubting of her ability to do her job well. And with the doubt, it then cramped her freedom at work, cramped her uh, ability to make choices and professional choices, etc. And so a vicious cycle kicked in. There was self-doubt, it inhibited her ability and her capacity, that gave rise to more doubt, and so it went on a vicious cycle. There was actually quite a lot of pain in this, and judgment and everything. Intellectually, intellectually, she could see that this wasn't true. It's not totally true that she was incapable. It's definitely not totally true. Now sometimes just that, it's just as, is this true? And we see it's not true, and that's enough to take away the power of something. In this case, it wasn't enough. It didn't help. She could see intellectually it wasn't true. So we were working and saying, can you, can you actually feel the pain of what's going on. This is really important. Oftentimes we feel pain because it's painful. We actually don't want to fully feel it. Very understandable. So I'm aware that there's pain going on. I'm aware of the dynamic that's going on. But I don't... I I almost have a reaction inside. I just want to get away from it. And so I don't let myself actually become really intimate, really touch that pain, and be touched by that pain. So just stop. Go to the center of it, and can you feel that pain? Take a while with that, and then and then asking her, now, when you let yourself do that, what else is there in response to it? What else is there in response to the pain? Because she had let herself really touch the pain and be touched by it, the natural heart's response was compassion. Compassion was allowed to, to, to manifest, to flow forth. Now that's interesting. Compassion came. 
And again, can you feel that? Can you kind of linger in the sense of the compassion? Because that, if we go back to first principle, actually is more than one thing. Compassion is more than one thing. It brings with it more than one quality. And as she did, she began to see, oh yes, this compassion is quite rich. It has spaciousness in it. That's interesting. It has peace in it. It has an ease that it brings. It has uh, a capacity which it did to dissolve some of the self-doubt. So we come from the compassion to four other qualities. And with each of those, can you really feel and linger in each? Really need The lingering is really important. Really need to linger in each and explore and feel each of these. Space, peace, ease, and this dissolving of some of the doubt. And in this case, it was like, wow, look at that, wow. Very, very surprising, wow. But even then, not to stop there. What's the reaction to that? What's the reaction? The implication is, the inner resources are much more available than was thought. Much more available than was thought. But very easy to miss and overlook. Very easy to miss and overlook. Really need to to uh, explore the kind of the nooks and crannies of our experience, the the little tributaries in the streams. And the implication is, the inner resources are there, and I have them. Little old me has them. They're in me, and they're available to me. And with that, again, tracing that through, what comes, what came, was confidence. A feeling of confidence began to emerge. And again, can I really feel that? Can I linger in that? So easy that we can be too quick in in the emotional process, missing a lot of what we actually need to. Uh, to stay with. We overlook it or we dismiss it. We just don't think that it could be significant. So linger and feel the confidence and really see its aspects. What are the aspects of confidence? And this began going into that. Well, there was strength there. There was a particular kind of peace. There was a sense of lightness, spaciousness, happiness. That was very surprising that something had gone from quite a lot of pain to happiness in quite a short space of time, need to linger, need to acknowledge. Eventually, that confidence and all these other qualities, they will replace the self-doubt. They'll replace the self-doubt. We, unfortunately, most of us, have a habit of basking and dwelling in unhelpful stuff. Uh, For example, in self-doubt rather than in confidence. And to dwell in confidence is not something egoistic. It's something uh, very important to do, very lovely. It's not egoistic. So, <clears throat> I was aware last, last week, um, I can't remember, but someone to give these examples, and they're sort, of, uh, they're sort of examples where everything goes completely tickety-boo and hunky-dory and very smooth, and the person is in a lot of contraction and pain, and boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and there you go, hey, presto, you've got this thing. It's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. And even when we do begin to unlock some of this dynamism, it's not like that we all the time necessarily get uh, put in a place of ease and clarity and freedom. It might, it might be a process that unfolds. 
and and that unfolds at its at its own pace. Uh, so it's not always so smooth and so easy. Some time ago, I was working with someone, and they were really feeling their sense of um, imprisonment, really, in certain patterns, and really feeling a feeling of, of, of lack of freedom. And feeling into that, and uh, and the idea of freedom, the possibility of freedom. And, and with that, <clears throat> kind of two uh, distinct emotions, if you like, came up, going back and forth. There was this yearning, this longing with the sense of possibility for freedom, very beautiful and powerful. And there was a kind of despair. I never, I just don't think it's possible for me. Heaviness, despair, contraction, yearning and despair. And again, can you actually Go into each and feel, feel the texture, explore in all the ways that we've been talking about over, over the talks. Feel into each. <clears throat> Began to see that part of the yearning, it had a kind of excitement in it. That was a kind of sub-quality of, of the yearning. It had a kind of excitement. It was kind of up with the sense of possibility, freedom, and maybe even a kind of giddiness with that. Very important, again, over and over to say, feel it in the body, feel it in the body. Where is that in the body? And then also, you know, she's saying, and then what happens is, I feel this, and the despair comes in and just trashes it. It just trashes any kind of sense of possibility. It trashes even the, the sense of yearning. It smashes it. So at that point, at that juncture in the process, there's actually a lot of different directions one could go in. Okay, well, I could explore the feeling, what's it like to feel smashed? What's it like to feel under the boot of this despair? What's that like? What's the experience of that? Could be an option. We, we were talking, so I, I actually chose another option. I'm not sure if it was right, and partly I'm sharing it to say it sometimes it's difficult to know what's right, you know, what's the right way forward. And I said, is I said to her, is there something in the yearning, within that movement of yearning, within that kind of movement of faith and devotion and longing, the beauty of that, is there a quality that is not smashed? Feels like it's smashed, but is there a quality that is not smashed? It seemed to me that there was that quality there. So I could see it, it seemed to me. And it seemed to me that it was in the lower part of the body where the attention was not going. So how does, how does the lower part of the body feel? And you begin to see, oh yes, there is a quality there that doesn't feel smashed. But it feels kind of shaky. And I was just curious, does it have a quality of strength in it? Is there strength there? And strength is the quality that won't be smashed. Is there strength there? And she looked, yes, there is strength there. But it wasn't something that would have been noticed. In other words, the, the, just the habitual pathways, this, this is really, really common. We have habitual tendencies not to notice certain qualities. They'll be different for each of us. But habitually not to notice that. That, that was the habit of, of the noticing, or the, the unnoticing. Why? 
That's really interesting. Why do we tend not to notice certain qualities? Um, <clears throat> exploring it. Well, oftentimes it's because something's unfamiliar. In this case, a strength, a feeling of strength. And this is really, really common. Really, really common. I see, I see this a lot. That we are, many of us are not used, familiar with and comfortable with feeling a feeling of strength in us, feeling our own strength. Something that's quite uh, scary to hang out in, scary to inhabit, scary to let have its fullness, uh, scary to let be embodied, and let that strength permeate the self and permeate the body. So partly that implies I may need to it may be a gradual process of familiarizing myself with that, of learning that I can kind of expand into this strength and, and let feel what it is to inhabit it. And that may be gradual, and that's fine. But a person might see, for instance, might see something, oh, that's, now I'm seeing something really interesting. And I'm seeing, why, why, why is there resistance to this strength? I'm seeing, oh, and, and looking at it. So, okay, okay, so I'm seeing that now as a whole interpersonal dynamic that's part of this structure. But when I feel the beauty and the expansion of inhabiting my strength, as that, as that, um, as I get more, let myself get more familiar with that, I'll basically be ready to let go of that other pattern. I see that uh, it doesn't give me anywhere near as much as, as the, the feeling of strength and independence and autonomy. It doesn't give me near, nearly as much uh, good feeling, nearly as much freedom, nearly as much in, in, in what we call a beautiful, positive sense of self. Now that might be gradual, but it might be even more complicated. It might be even more complicated person might look and say, why, why am I resisting this strength coming in and feeling this strength? And it could be that deep down I don't trust myself. I shouldn't therefore be strong. It can be knotted in, in other ways. So I, I don't, you know, I, when I give some of these stories, I don't want to necessarily just say, da 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 boom, 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 it's all very glib. It, it, it's a process. But basically... Um, Let me give you another example. You know, I was working with someone who um, <clears throat> they, they were exploring a process and then there was a lot of rage towards themselves come up. Really, really strong rage towards themselves. Self-hatred, basically. Um, but they were looking at it. They were, it was contained in the awareness. It didn't have more energy than the mindfulness. It was uh, the attention. Right then, in the mix there was softness and there was compassion there. At least it seemed to me I could see it. In the example I just gave, I felt like I was kind of guiding someone because I I felt I could see something and I was like, well, it would be really good if you saw this. In this instance, I felt like I saw something and, and for some reason it felt like I don't know if it's right. And I didn't say anything. And, and again, the person didn't notice it. I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm mean, just sharing. You know, I don't know. Sometimes does one point it out? Does one not? You get different schools. Who's an expert on this? You get people who maybe declare themselves experts. I don't know. It's hard to say. Sometimes a person just isn't ready to see something. Or, and or, sometimes it's the case that something's going on. We are doing something. To go right back to the, the core kind of premise of, of these whole talks, that sometimes we are doing something that's, that's locking the dynamism, that's locking something into place. I'm not questioning so much, I'm not accessing results, whatever it is, all this, these lists. Maybe it's a mixture, I don't know. But just to say, it's, it can be more complicated. <clears throat> so, resourcing through cultivation, resourcing through what else is there. There's also resourcing through, I couldn't know quite what to call it, resourcing through integrating. This is the third possibility in terms of resourcing. Resourcing through integrating. Uh, I had... A friend, he's more of an acquaintance. I see him very, very rarely, li- literally every ten years or something. And um, one of those times, maybe even twenty years ago, <laughs> one of those times, he he had started meditating and he had joined an order, a sort of semi-monastic order, and he'd changed his name as part of that process. So he had a, a, a kind of Indian name, uh, a spiritual name, and they had certain rules and stuff. <clears throat> and he was meditating. And he was saying to me, uh, and he was saying to me, you know, something started happening when I when I meditated. I, I kept getting this face come up in meditation, this snarling, rageful face right there in front of me, sort of on the inner visual screen, and contorted in rage and and looked really scary, demon-like. And it's like, it was really, really scary. And this was going on and on and on. And finally. He was, it occurred to him where he plucked up the courage to actually ask this apparition, who are you? Who are you? And immediately the face responded, I'm John Smith. I'm basically his old name, his pre-monastic name. He was just telling me that, and I think at the time it, it wasn't appropriate to say anything, but... I, is obvious, I mean, I don't know if it's obvious, but what jumped out to me, is it obvious to you? Something's been split off from in an image, hasn't it? Would you? Something's been, there's a split, it's coming back. Look, I've changed my name, now I'm more spiritual. I, I'm like this. But something inside says, ah, <laughs> no, 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 hello. And it comes up in a very, very forceful way. I don't. I didn't say that. It, it wasn't appropriate at the time, etc. I don't know how he pursued it, or if he did, or, or what. But oftentimes, uh, qualities, aspects of ourself, aspects uh, of our inner world that we need to ent- integrate <clears throat> will present themselves to us in meditation, or in a moment of quietness, or in dreams, or, or whatever it is. So I just offer this as another possibility. Again, it doesn't fall usually in the kind of things that certainly I would usually talk about in, in teaching this kind of meditation, but I just offer it. 
Sometimes there's a sense of difficulty in the meditation or, or somewhere. There's an emotion that's coming out that's difficult, or a sense of something unsettled. And sometimes, sometimes you can kind of <coughs> go into a mode where you have access. Uh, it will present itself in a certain in certain imagery. An image will come up, or an inner character even will manifest, or or even a scene inside, a representation from. You know, if you're in the language of psychodynamic psychotherapy, so a representation from the unconscious, the unconscious, and it's possible to work creatively and skillfully with that image <clears throat> or those images. I would say, like like all of this, really, really important to keep the body awareness. We're not we're not getting lost in daydreaming. It's uh, I know when I'm working well with something because of what happens in the body and because of the way the body comes into alignment and strength and opening when I'm on track. So whatever I do, the body is central. And it takes a certain amount of mindfulness and perhaps rootedness in mindfulness practice. But if you're familiar with um, you know, some other traditions, whether the kind of shamanic journeying or if you know... Um, Jungian psychodynamics is called active imagination. We're actually working directly uh, with images <coughs> to reveal something and to integrate something and to access resources that otherwise may be unintegrated, unacknowledged, unaccessible, inaccessible. So it's possible to actually dialogue even with an image. What, what, what are you wanting? What do, what do you need? What's going on? What am I missing here? What am I missing out? It's possible to strike a deal with this inner character. Come to an agreement. And through that, actually accessing another quality within <coughs> that when it's allowed uh, ethically, so I might want you to do something in the world, but it has to be ethical, um, but when it's allowed, gives 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 us a strength, reclaims our power, reclaims peace, etc. Basically, is another aspect of unlocking the kind of dynamism. So, I'll give you a small example. I've actually been experimenting a little bit with this myself recently. <clears throat> so, just a small example, uh, briefly. I uh, it's, it's part of a, a much larger ongoing thread of investigation that I'm inquiring into that feels very alive and rich for me, but I only want to give you a bit that, that's relevant now. Um, I was sitting in meditation or sitting or something and felt some something's not right and went inside and, and there was an image. There was an image. And it was a kind of big bird of prey. I don't know exactly, maybe like an eagle or something. Uh, very powerful, very was flapping its wings and agitated, and it, there was quite a lot of agitation wrapped up in it. And I began to explore it and get a feel for its character, a feel for where it was coming from and what it wanted. And it was a kind of dialogue, it was more like just in, intuiting something. And basically, what it wanted, it was part of this ongoing exploration, just I, I happen to be going through right now, is wanting complete freedom of inquiry complete freedom of inquiry no no constraints on the inquiry at all now I, 
is part of this other thing that I've been going through. It's like I hadn't realized, I felt, I would have felt myself very free to inquire. No one tells me to think this or that or to inquire this way or to limit my inquiry in any way. But subtly was beginning to realize that actually the inquiry has been limited. It has certain edges to it or certain assumptions. I'm not going to go into that. The point is more about the imagery. So it's very subtle beginning to notice that actually I really want more, much more of a complete freedom to inquire. And working with this image began, to, it's like it, this powerful ego, so I'm wanting to, wanting to soar in, in, the, in the free spaces of the sky, freely uh, like an eagle would fly, unhindered, unperturbed, free to soar where it wants. And in a way, what I really took for it was, it's a, it had something to tell me, it's about how you see yourself, it's about how you see yourself. And it was just, because this was part of an ongoing inquiry, it was just a slight piece that was there this time. It was, you just need to see yourself a certain way every day. It's quite a subtle shift. You just need to see and acknowledge that you are completely free to inquire, that you have that freedom, and take that freedom and acknowledge it. That that's my right, and feel that. That's just a small example, but it's possible that that, uh, may be helpful uh, that we can re-access some qualities if we don't uh, what happens is difficult emotions or difficult dynamics will will tend to keep keep emerging difficult energies as a kind of sometimes if it's really strong it, it manifests in kind of destructive or self-destructive behavior Yikes. Um, why am I saying that? Why am I sharing that in particular? Because partly I've noticed that uh, a person might say, well, that's not Buddhism, or that's not mindfulness. I actually don't care, frankly. Um, sometimes I've noticed that a person can be meditating a long time, and actually the very meditation... Uh, in the way that one is meditating, one is um, going into a space where one loses access to certain qualities. So I was working with someone and he was feeling themself, uh, himself access his power at times. Very new and it had been uh, inhibited in his childhood and was re-accessing it and it really felt good. So it was in and out of accessing it. We were talking about it, and I was saying, can you get it right now? And then he went into his meditation posture and went inside, and looking inside to get his power in a meditative way. And I could see it, he was going, it was not acts, it was going completely away from the power. There's something in the way of meditating, and this is a long-term meditator, something in the habit of what meditation has become actually uh, locks certain qualities out. Okay, so we need to perhaps reveal what's in us and integrate that uh, if we're not allowing or acknowledging or integrating something. The seventh one is using the story. 
Oftentimes in insight meditation, again, we say, drop the story, let the story go. Let the story go. Don't get embroiled in the story. And redirecting a person back to the body and the sensations in the body. Just the sensations. Drop the story. But it's possible that relating, opening to the story, my story, my journey, actually does, uh, again, allow uh, our certain resources and certain healing that wouldn't actually come just by being with the sensations. So recently, well, some months ago, a person was working and trying to be with something just in terms of the sensations. But there was quite a powerful, uh, complex, long story underneath that had to do with the emotion that was going on. In this case, the story, if I just very, very precy uh, of the story, very summarized example of the story, when he was very, oh, actually, when his mum met his biological dad, and uh, after a brief uh, affair, and she got pregnant with him, and he left. He didn't want anything to do with it. And so his mum was left on her own with the pregnancy and a degree of unsureness whether it was right to go through with this on her own. And the, da- the biological father had wanted her to have an abortion and then basically just split when uh, she said no. And later in life, at some age, uh, a stepfather came in, mum got together with another man and, and this, this man was his stepfather and in, in a letter I think while, while he was even on retreat a letter to his stepfather um, he for the first time in his life in his relationship with his stepfather he signed the letter your son first time he called him that and that was quite a courageous thing to do. Some time later, the letter comes back, signed from his stepfather, your father. Really needed to allow in that. Something quite momentous had happened. Very, very beautiful. Needed to allow that in. Open to the story. It's not just about the sensations. You have to open to that. And there's a lot in there that opens up feeling the grief and, and the absence of the biological father from very early age. Feeling that. And in this case, there's resources there. Uh, the resource of the stepfather's love, actually. Tapping into that through the story. That love is there. Your father. If I don't go to the story, I won't get that resource. And my love, his love for the stepfather, is also a resource. That's also a resource for me. It's my love, for him, but, it's, but it's my resource. And part of the story was also his mum telling him um, that she had been, much later in his life, that she had been unsure about having him or not. And yet, in the hospital, and the doctor's 
gave her the baby, and there she, there he was, suckling at the breast. And the mum said, I knew it was the right thing. Really, really powerful. Really powerful. You know, to, to, to let that, uh, to keep that out of the meditative process. Uh, one will not be accessing uh, the fullness of the healing and the fullness of what resources there. Now it's not, again, not to pretend any, any of this is always easy. The, the key with stories is, if we're going to use them, is not to be defined by them. Not to be locked in to the story, a prisoner or a victim of the story. So I have to be, this is really important, if I'm using the story, I have to be kind of careful and sensitive and uh, responsive. The story actually has some degree of movement in it. So am I using the story in a helpful way? I need to be using the story, the story of my life, my journey, to unlock the emotional life, not to lock it, not to lock it in, in, a, in an orbit, in a cycle. So is it possible to see the story differently? Not to ignore it, but to see it differently. I was talking with, with um, actually with a friend the other day, the other night, and we, w- we were talking a little bit about this. She's actually a teacher as well. And you know, one possibility, <clears throat> one possibility that I think many people find is that once one begins to work through some of the sort of really difficult old emotional patterns and, and constructs, and once one begins to get the strength and one's fullness back, one may see, one may look back at one's uh, journey and the story of one's journey and actually see that the, the very difficulties that one experienced turned out, turn out to have been the kind of the conditions that almost like exercised or, or gave muscles to uh, what was to become our greatest strength. It's a very curious thing. Uh, and, and the source, what was to become the muscles behind the source of our, our greatest and most beautiful gifts to the world. So you might have had a father who squashed your self-expression, who squashed your expression of the truth or your creativity or whatever. And you were living uh, and felt in reaction and, 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 and uh, stamped on through that. And it might turn out that, that going through that and working through that, what emerges from that is a fearlessness more and more, and this may take years and even decades, a fearlessness of expression, fearlessness of self-expression, of creative expression. And it comes because the muscles were trained. How I see the story is dependent. Like everything, everything in this world, how I see it is dependent. And it's dependent on a lot of things. And it's dependent on a lot of inner qualities. In other words, what's in the inner mix at this time that will determine how I see anything and everything. Everything and anything 
is determined by what qualities of mind and heart are present. <clears throat> when I feel like I have enough from cultivation and practice, from building up the beautiful qualities over time, from accessing my resources, from other aspects of the path, I begin to see the story differently because I'm looking at it from a different inner place. And the, my, my own story, my own journey looks different to me when there's enough in the heart, when the heart has enough. And hopefully we get to a place where we don't need our parents, if it's about our parents, we don't need our parents to parent us anymore. And often, unfortunately, it's, it's relatively common a person goes through their whole life and the relationship with the parents is still, you know, even though they might be in their 50s and 60s or something, the relationship with the parents is still, wanting parents might be 90 or whatever, still wanting the parents at some level to parent us or wanting someone else in some ways to parent us. As I begin to have enough inside, I begin to see the story differently, feel the whole thing differently, I can really say, grown up, I'm grown up now, don't need my parents, it doesn't matter how my parents are. Something is much more free, doesn't, I'm not looking for parenting in the world. And can look back and see sometimes, and again I'm not saying necessarily this is always easy, seeing perhaps the limitations that my parents had, if that's what it's about, the parents the incompleteness of their love and the manifestations of their love. Somehow that was all okay. That was all okay. Really fundamentally very okay at some, in some way. And seeing it, it actually can begin to see love more. We see love more through that. In the present, but also even in the past, I'm going to stop there. Um, this <laughs> this is all taking much longer than I thought. Um, <clears throat> so there's one more, uh, which is the flexibility one. Um, I will leave for an, another time, maybe on this retreat, maybe another time. To me, there's also a whole load of, all, all this woven into this, a whole load of very fundamental questions about what the path is come to my attention. I don't know if it's obvious to you or not. And perhaps another part would like to actually explore that, what the implications of a lot of what's being said here is. They're woven in. <clears throat> okay, so it's all about practice. You know, it's all about uh, taking things and, and making them your own through experimentation, through trying this and trying that, and seeing this dynamism unfold, and it will. Once I start toying with things, experimenting, playing, shifting things, it does unlock that. And the healing comes and the being unfolds in the way that uh, is its natural way. It's natural way. Okay, let's have a quiet moment or two together. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.